right, good morning, everybody. How you doing? You glad to be here today? Hey, one more time for the dads. Let's give it up for the dads in the house. All right, all right. Hey, why don't you get your Bible, open it up with me to the book of 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. 1 Kings chapter 3, we are in our series, Winners and Losers. We're looking at the kings in First and Second Kings. Some are winners, some are losers. Uh, we're looking at them uh, through this series all summer long. And by the way, while you're turning there, let me just remind you that the night of vision is June the 30th, 5 o'clock in the chapel. This is a time when we uh, worship together. Uh, we uh, approve our next year's budget. We install new leaders. We pray over them. Uh, I'm going to be sharing with you where we're going over the next five years, where our church is headed. It's really exciting, exciting time. So you want to be here on June the 30th. That's a Sunday night, 5 o'clock chapel, and be a part of that uh, time together, okay? It's going to be a great time. You know, I remember, um, I remember the moment that I became a dad. You know, uh, having children wasn't really that easy for us. If you kind of had to walk through that in your own personal life, you understand what I'm talking about. We didn't think we could have children for many, many years. And then uh, finally had uh, our, our baby and we were just so thrilled. Uh, I can remember uh, holding this baby in my arms. And at, at first I was like, hey, I'm a dad. And then the next thing hit me like, hey, I'm a dad. Like, I don't know how to be a dad. I don't know what to, how am I going to play for college? How, where, where are we going to go? I don't know how to change a diaper. I don't know. I, I, it's so like all of a sudden it hit me. I know absolutely nothing. I know nothing about this. And it was like completely overwhelming for me uh, that I did not know how to be a dad. And uh, so I remember just praying at that moment, like, Lord, you're just going to have to, you're going to have to give me wisdom to know how to, how to take care of this little person that now is depending on me to provide for them. You know, and, and as uh, my girls got a little older and they went to elementary school, I've been thinking, I don't, know how to, I don't know how to be an elementary school dad. I don't know. They're going off to school and what do I do? And there's sleepovers and parties. I don't know how to do that. Lord, give me wisdom. And then they got into the middle school years, right? Then you say, Lord, give me wisdom and patience because I don't get any of this, right? And then, then high school and dating and off to college and, and like almost in every stage of their life, there's this moment where I go, I don't know how to do this. And I really need godly wisdom. Every dad in the room knows that feeling of going, I don't know how to do this and I need God, I need wisdom. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. How do I find godly wisdom? Uh, as we're looking at the kings in, in the books of First and Second Kings, there is one king that, that this name, his name is synonymous with wisdom. And when you think of his name, you think wisdom. You probably know who it is, right? Who's the king that, that personifies wisdom in the Bible? Somebody tell me. Solomon, that's right, Solomon. He's the wisest man who ever lived. Next to Jesus, the wisest man who ever lived. In fact, Solomon wrote multiple books that are in our Bible today. He wrote uh, the book of Proverbs, which is really the book of wisdom, all these Proverbs and wise sayings. He wrote that. He wrote uh, some of the Psalms. Uh, he wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. He wrote the book of Song of Solomon. In fact, those books uh, are collectively called the wisdom literature in your Bible. And so it, Solomon is the king that personifies godly wisdom. And Solomon started off so well. Solomon started off 
really walking God and started off as a winner. But somewhere along the way, Solomon's life began to unravel and ended up as a loser. And so, really, there's a warning in Solomon's life that we need to hear, especially men, we need to hear this message today, uh, not to pursue worldly wisdom, but to pursue all of our life godly wisdom, to never lose that moment in our life when we say, God, I don't know what to do. Lord, I need your wisdom, all right? So when you take your Bible, open up 1 Kings uh, chapter 3. We're going to dive on into it today. If you're there, say amen. All right, this is the Word of God, chapter 3, verse 1. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, by marrying Pharaoh's daughter. Solomon brought her to the city of David until he finished building his palace, the Lord's temple, and the walls surrounding Jerusalem. However, the people were sacrificing on the high places because until that time, a temple for the Lord's name had not been built. Now stop right there for just a minute. One of the first acts that Solomon did uh, as king, remember Solomon followed King David. He was the dynastic successor to King David. And uh, as he steps into his role of leadership, one of the first things he does is he marries the daughter of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And of course, this was more of a diplomatic marriage to solidify the alliance between these two nations. And so he brings her now to the city of David, which was a part of the old city of Jerusalem. And he is involved in several construction projects. One is to re-fortify the wall, to build his own palace, and to build, build a temple to the Lord. And it says there at the time that the people did not have a temple to go to. As you may recall, God had given David the heart to build the temple, but really it was Solomon's job to actually build the temple. And Solomon was doing that. Now, when you read the word high places there in your Bible, it should send up a flare, right? Because high places were always associated with pagan worship, always. I remember the first time I went to uh, China and uh, we fly into Beijing and we're on this bus and we're going way out into some rural areas. And I can remember stopping and looking up into the hills and seeing these little shrines or temples up in the top. Those were the high places where they went to offer sacrifices to their, their, to their ancestors. Uh, if you follow Greek uh, construction of cities and so on, you, you know about the Acropolis up in the top high place or uh, temples that were always positioned on the high place so that people could see them. That These were the places of pagan worship. And that's what was happening here, that there were high places and places of pagan worship that were happening. And so God instructed David to build a temple where the people could gather to worship him. And so we see in verse 3, though, really a foreshadowing of Solomon's downfall. This is really uh, a shot across the bow, so to speak. It's a foreshadowing of what is going to ultimately be Solomon's unraveling. Look at verse 3. And Solomon loved the Lord by walking in the statutes of his father David, but he also sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. See, this is, this is Solomon's downfall. And he loved God, and he wanted to be obedient to God. He wanted to be a godly man, but he also wanted to offer sacrifices on the high places. 
He, he wanted to walk with God, but he, he loved the world. He wanted to walk with God, but he sure did enjoy the trappings of, of the culture that he was in. He wanted to walk with God, but he wanted to walk with God. And Solomon was a divided man. He had a divided heart. He was a divided man in his loyalties. And ultimately, Solomon led to a divided country. It was a foreshadowing of his downfall. There's a lesson we learned from Solomon. I want to give it to you today, and I'm going to repeat it several times. A lesson we learned from Solomon. Here's our takeaway from Solomon. Godly wisdom builds a life. Worldly wisdom ends in strife. You say, wait a minute, Craig, that's kind of cool. It kind of rhymes. Yeah, that's right. It, it rhymes so you can remember it, okay? What did Craig preach about today? Godly wisdom builds a life. Worldly wisdom ends in strife. Strive. Now say this with me. This is the audience participation part of the talk. Here we go. Ready? Nice and strong so your neighbor can hear you. Godly wisdom builds a life. Worldly wisdom ends in strife. And that is so true. And we're going to see this played out in the life of Solomon. So let's look at the first part. Godly wisdom builds a life. Um, Look at what happens in, in verse 5, chapter 3, verse 5. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night. God said, ask, what should I give you? And Solomon replied, you have shown great and faithful love to your servant, my father David, because he walked before you in faithfulness, righteousness, and integrity. You have continued this great and faithful love for him by giving him a son to sit on his throne as it is today. Lord my God, you have now made your servant king in my father David's place, yet I am just a youth with no experience in leadership. Your servant is among your people you have chosen, a people too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant a receptive heart to judge your people and to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? Now, I want you to stop right there for just a minute. Solomon uh, has a dream, and God comes to him in a dream, and God says, what do you want, Solomon? This is quite, quite an opportunity, right? Uh, the Aladdin just came out, right? So people think this was Solomon's Aladdin moment. It's like God came out like a genie in a bottle, said, what do you want? You know, I give you a wish. What do you want? Uh, by the way, this is not God as a genie in a bottle, all right? Far from that. Actually, what's happening is God is giving Solomon an opportunity. He's giving Solomon a choice, right? Because Solomon has been worshiping on the high places, and yet he says he wants to worship God, and he's like, he's like straddling this fence. And so God comes in him. He says, Solomon, I think you need to decide. What, what kind of man do you want to be? What kind of direction are you going to go? You're going to go this way? You're going to go with the culture? You're going to worship there? You're going to go to the high places? Is that where you're going to find yourself? Or are you going to be my man? Are you going to walk with me like your father did? Which one are you going to do, Solomon? And by the way, that's a really great question for every man. What kind of man are you? Are you a man that walks with God and is obedient to him and seeking him? Are you a man that's going to be kind of chasing after whatever you want? Which one is it? And I think there's something in all of us that, that tend to vacillate between one or the other. And God is like, Solomon, I'm going to give you an opportunity here to make a wise choice. And Solomon asked for something. By the way, Solomon didn't ask for all the things that you and I would probably ask for. He didn't ask for hair. All right, like I would have. Uh, 
He didn't, he didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for you know, power or, or fame or all these trappings. He asked for wisdom. God, just give me wisdom. I don't, I don't know how to lead these people. It was that moment like when I was holding our first child. I says, God, I don't know what to do. God, give me wisdom. He, he had that moment of, God, give me wisdom. I need your wisdom. Listen, uh, we learned some things about Solomon here. And I, I just want you to jot a couple of these thoughts down. Here's the first thing. Uh, you need godly wisdom, right? Just write that down. You need godly wisdom. All of us do. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 5, which is written by Solomon, he says this, get wisdom, get understanding. Don't forget or turn away from the words from my mouth. Don't abandon wisdom, and she will watch over you. Love her, and she will guard you. Wisdom is supreme, so get wisdom. And whatever else you get, get understanding, cherish her, and she will exalt you. If you embrace her, she will honor you. She will be a, a guard, she will place a garland of favor on your head. She will give you a crown of beauty. <clears throat> this is Solomon talking to uh, a son, and he's saying, Listen, whatever you need, what you need is wisdom. Pursue wisdom. In the book of Proverbs, wisdom is always personified as a beautiful woman, that if you pursue her, she will guide you, she will direct you, she will protect you, she will honor you. But if you, there's another counter to that, there's a worldly woman that always leads to death and destruction and dishonor. So he's saying, pursue wisdom, get after it. Hey, you need wisdom. You need it, I need it. You say, well, what exactly is wisdom? What are, what are you talking about, wisdom? Well, let me give you a little definition. Here it is. Wisdom is the ability to discern what is right, true, and lasting. Wisdom is the ability to discern what is right, true, and lasting. Fools hate wisdom, right? Fools make decisions by their gut. They make their decisions by their impulse. They make decisions in the moment. But a wise person says, okay, wait, wait what, what is right here? What is true? And what's the long play? What, what is lasting? In other words, where is this decision going to take me eventually? What is right, true, and lasting? And Solomon said, you need wisdom. He needed wisdom. I need wisdom. We need it. So the question then, that begs the question, where do we get this kind of wisdom? And that leads me to the second thing, is that godly wisdom comes from God. Godly wisdom comes from God. God uh, Solomon asked God for the wisdom that he needed. Look at, look at Proverbs chapter 2, verse 6. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom. And from his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. I love that. I love it. He said, God is storing up. With, you need some wisdom? I got a whole storehouse of that. You, you, need, you need some wisdom? I got a whole account running over that I would love to pour out into your life if you would just simply ask me for it. See, a lot of times we're not walking in wisdom because we're not asking God for it. Right? We're just making a decision. Hey, I know how to do this. I know how to do that. Hey, man, I have my experience. I know what I'm doing. I don't need to ask God for that. The only time we get into trouble, we ask God for something is when we're in trouble, right? We're like, oh, no. Now I don't know what to do. Now I'm going to shoot up the flare prayer, right? Lord, help. But what about way before that when I said, is there humility in you to say, God, I don't know. God, I need you. God, I need your wisdom. 
James chapter 1 verse 5 says, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God and he will give it to you without finding fault. He's not like going, oh, it's you again. <laughs> Man, I got to give this to you again? God's not doing that. He's like, I will gladly give you wisdom if you would just ask. Let me ask you something, guys. How many times did you make decisions and you really didn't pray about it? How many times have you made a decision and you, you said, well, it's kind of, it seemed to me the right thing, you know, and not ask for wisdom. You need wisdom. Wisdom comes from God. And here's the other thing that we learned is that uh, godly wisdom brings great reward, brings great reward. If you will ask God for wisdom, he will bless you as a result of it. Look at verse 10. Look at verse 10. Chapter three, he says, now it pleased the Lord that Solomon had requested this. So God said to him, because you have requested this and did not ask for long life or riches for yourself or the death of your enemies, but you asked discernment for yourself to administer justice, I will therefore do what you have asked. I will give you a wise and understanding heart so that there has never been anyone like you before and never will be again. In addition, I will give you what you did not ask for, both riches and honor, so that no king will be your equal during your entire life. If you walk in my ways and keep my statutes and commandments, just as your father David did, I will give you a long life. And I tell you what, uh, he hit the jackpot there, didn't he? God said, listen, I, I love what you asked for. You didn't ask for yourself. You didn't ask for something for you. You asked for wisdom to judge rightly. And he said, so here's what I'm going to do, Solomon. I'm going to give you what you asked for. I'm going to give you wisdom. And God gave him abundant wisdom. In fact, the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 4, verse 29, it says, God gave Solomon wisdom, very great insight and understanding as vast as the sand on the seashore. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East, greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. In other words, if you go to the West to Egypt or East to Persia, there wasn't anybody in that sphere, no one like him that had great wisdom. God gave him wisdom, but God didn't stop there. God also gave him a magnitude of wealth. God gave him power militarily. God blessed him and gave him outrageous success outrageous success now let me just tell you what I don't mean when I tell you that what I don't what I'm not saying I'm not saying that if you ask God for wisdom he's going to make you insanely rich all right that would actually be kind of fun but but that's not what he's saying this is not a health wealth gospel here this is not he's not saying you ask me for wisdom i'm just gonna just just bless your file your your retirement i'm just gonna blow you out of the out of the door with so much money you can't stand it that's not what he's saying but what he is saying is this if you ask god for wisdom if you if you realize you need wisdom and you humbly ask god for it that there is reward in acting wisely you know, the people that I know that are wise, and you know people like this too. You know people that have godly wisdom. These people make wise choices in their finances. They make wise choices in their business and career. They make wise choices in their relationships and in their marriages and their friendships. In every area, they make wise choices. And you know what? Life goes better for them. <laughs> Why? Because they made wise choices. 
Why is that? Because wisdom brings great reward. Listen, godly wisdom builds a life. Godly wisdom builds a life. You want to build a life that is good? You want to build a life that honors God? You want to build a life that is pleasing? You want to build that kind of life? Godly wisdom builds that kind of life. But the flip side of the coin is also true. Worldly wisdom ends in strife. Worldly wisdom always ends in strife. And I tell you what, there was something that happened in Solomon's life where he, he started so well. He started with godly wisdom. Lord, I don't know what to do. I'm just young. I don't have any experience. Lord, I, please give me wisdom to judge. And God blesses him and God uses him. And then somewhere along the way, he just began to unravel to the point that his life ends in ruin. It ends in strife. You know, chapter 11, when you think of chapter 11 in legal terms, that usually means bankruptcy. When you get to chapter 11 of 1 Kings, this is Solomon's bankruptcy. Look at, turn, just flip over the pages to uh, chapter 11, verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 1. King Solomon loved many foreign women. In addition to Pharaoh's daughter, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian and Hittite women from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites you must not intermarry with them and they must not intermarry with you because they will turn your heart away to follow their gods. To these women Solomon was deeply attached in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 who were concubines, and they turned his heart away. When Solomon was old, his wives turned his heart away to follow other gods. He was not wholeheartedly devoted to the Lord his God, as his father David had been. Solomon followed Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and Malcolm, the abhorrent idol of the Ammonites. Solomon did what was evil in the Lord's sight. And unlike his father David, he did not remain loyal to the Lord. After all that God had done for him, after all the blessing, after all the wisdom, after all the promotion, he did not seek God. He, the, what he did with just one woman, Pharaoh's daughter, and one uh, worship at the high place became 700 women, 300 concubines, just excess over excess over excess. Now listen, I don't believe, listen to me, I don't believe that one day Solomon woke up and said, you know what, I'm kind of tired of following God. I think from now on, I'm going to disobey God and turn my back on God. I don't think he did that. But you know what? It happened one decision at a time, one decision, one relationship, one bending, one compromise. And then slowly over time, while Solomon was looking toward God this way, slowly over time, Solomon began to pivot his heart to trust his own wisdom, to trust his own success, to believe that he deserved, that it was up to him, that he could have this, that nobody could tell him what to do, and that he could do whatever he wanted in his life. And all of a sudden he woke up one day and he was facing and embracing the world around him and his back was toward God.
It doesn't happen overnight, guys. It happens slowly. Solomon was an old man when his heart became wayward. Ultimately, it cost Solomon. Look at, uh, look at verse uh, 9, chapter 11, verse 9. The Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice. He had commanded him about this so that he would not follow other gods, but Solomon did not do what the Lord had commanded. Then the Lord said to Solomon, since you have done this and did not keep my covenants and my statutes, which I commanded you, I will tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. What a loss. What a tragedy. Solomon had everything. You know, the book of Ecclesiastes is really a personal journal of Solomon. If you want to know what it felt like for him to get to that place, just read the book of Ecclesiastes this afternoon. And basically, it's his personal journal of every excess that he indulged himself in sexually, with alcohol, with, with riches, with every pleasure that he could possibly afford, that he gave himself to above and beyond. And then at the end of the book, he says, you know what? I had all this stuff, and all of it is meaningless. It was like it turned to dust in my hands. In 2014, a writer, reporter from Sports Illustrated went to go visit the famous boxer Muhammad Ali. Ali, who once was just the embodiment of power, personal power and strength, now his body was decaying. He, he could barely move, could barely speak. Every once in a while, when he would go to the gym, there would be these small glimpses of, uh, of the champion inside of him, but, but everything else was labored. His walking was labored. His breathing was labored. His speaking was labored. Ali took the reporter out to a barn behind his house where there was all kinds of memorabilia of his height of his career, pictures on the wall of him with his fists raised in victory, now they were streaked with pigeon dung from the birds that sat on the rafters up above. Dust covered all these things. Ali stood there silent, looking at his past. Then he said to the reporter with really speaking from his throat without moving his mouth, he said, I had the world, and it ain't nothing. I had the world, and it ain't nothing. That's what Solomon would say. Man, I had it all, and I lost it all. Let me tell you what, that, that can be you, and that can be me. That can be, you can you can start off walking with God, wanting to seek God, and then somehow over time become so enamored with your own success, so enamored with your own ability, so enamored with all that you've built that you slowly begin to compromise and turn away from God. That is the warning of Solomon. Never lose that young, naive, humble need for godly wisdom. 
Never lose it. Because godly wisdom is what builds your life, but worldly wisdom always leads to strife. Always. You say, well, Craig, where do I find that kind of godly wisdom? Let me show you one more little passage. It's actually in the New Testament now. In Colossians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Colossae, and this is what he says. For I want you to know how greatly I am struggling for you and those in Laodicea, for all those who have not seen me in person. I want their hearts to be encouraged and joined together in love so that they might have all the riches of complete understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery, Christ. For in him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Did you get that? He said, here's what I want for you Christians. He said, I want you to walk in love. I want you to to be together. I want you to know Christ. I want you to have this life, right? I want you to build this life that honors God. And he said, the way that you find true wisdom is you find it in Jesus. In Jesus, in Christ, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. See, what you amass in this world is going to fade. You may have the world, and it ain't nothing. That house you're living in is going to be sold to somebody else. The car you drive is going to be in a junk pile and sold for parts. The clothes you wear are going to be in somebody's garage sale. The office you now uh, have, ultimately somebody else is going to sit behind your desk with their name plate on the door. And people will forget you. It just, it's just the way life is. But if you have true treasures, that's found in Jesus. True treasure that doesn't fade is found in Christ. And in him is found all the wisdom you need to build a life that honors God. And then it lasts for eternity. Godly wisdom builds this life. Worldly wisdom ends in strife.